All right, good morning, church. Let's all stand together. Well, there's a word that we use quite a bit in Christianity. It's the word grace, right? We throw that, we throw it around quite a bit. But it's a very, very significant word because it's what separates Christianity from all other faiths out there. And that is that we have God's favor, an undeserved, unmerited favor that Jesus has afforded to us through his work on the cross. And so I don't know how you feel today as far as where you're at with the Lord. Uh, Maybe you feel like you don't deserve uh, God's favor. Maybe you feel like uh, you don't really deserve to be seeking him or to be in church and to experience him. You're right. (laughs) You don't. Neither do I. That's where grace comes in. We can come to the Lord today with boldness, knowing that there is grace available to us uh, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That God desires a relationship with you. He desires for you to bring your error, your sin, your disqualifications to him so he can wash them clean and view you, view me in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have that ability in Christianity and the faith that we have. So we're going to celebrate that this morning. Amen. So Father, we do thank you so much that you have chosen, Lord, to to deal with us according to your mercy and grace, not according to your justice, Lord God. That you have chosen in your forbearance to overlook, Lord God, our mistakes so that we would have time to turn from our sin, that we would have time to come to Jesus in a relationship and receive forgiveness. And Lord, so we stand this morning understanding that we are forgiven, that you are faithful and just to cleanse us because of this incredible grace, Lord. So we thank you and we worship you for these reasons. In Jesus' name, everybody said...
You guys can be seated. We're going to continue to worship this morning through our tithes and our offerings.
awesome. Yeah, yeah. You guys can be seated once again. We're going to take a moment and cover a few announcements. Well, good morning, church. Anybody new for the first time? Why don't you raise your hand so we can just welcome you and say hello. Welcome. Hello. Welcome over there. Glad to have you guys. want to apologize right off the bat that I didn't hug you. I didn't mingle with you this morning. I am feeling under the weather, and so just don't be offended. He didn't hug me this morning. I love you guys, uh, but I, that's why I'm not hugging you, because I love you guys. <laughs> well, if you have your bulletins, let's take them out. Go over a few things coming up this week at Calvary. Left side of our bulletin, as you know, is our weekly fellowship opportunities. We have our final biblical citizenship class coming up this Tuesday evening at 7 p.m., and it has just been a, a great thing uh, uh, that, that, that we've done. And, and uh, I know they do have a condensed version on uh, on their website, if you want to take a look at that, Patriot Academy, there you can uh, take a look at that. But it was great. And then I have a very good friend of our family who's been a part of our church uh, many years ago. His name is Ulrich John Solomon. We call him John. Other uh, churches call him Ulrich, but it's too hard to say Ulrich. And so, um, but anyway, he was a part of our family. His dad pastors at Calvary Chapel, Bangalore, India. And I've uh, been doing it for years. They have uh, orphanages and, and AIDS orphanages and just an amazing work that's going on there. John is going to be in town for a week. So I'm going to have him share Wednesday evening all about the ministry going on there in Bangalore. And then uh, uh, he's also a pastor teacher there as well, really taking the reins from his dad. And I'm going to have him share next Sunday morning. You are not going to want to miss it. It's just absolutely uh, amazing. If he teaches a study that I just heard him teach last week at a Calvary Chapel, Boise, um, it's great. Just great. So come out for that next Sunday. Center section of our bulletin. Ladies, you know the woman's retreat is next weekend or this, this coming weekend. And uh, uh, my wife has informed me we need you to pay today so we have the money for the caterers. And, uh, and also, if you, if you haven't signed up, please sign up today. There's room for more. We'd love to have you. And that's going to be Friday evening and Saturday all day as well. Um, New Testament Greek class. As you know, we're starting a New Testament Greek class. That'll be Monday, uh, this coming Monday at 545 to 645. We had a Greek readers group, but now we're kind of switching it over to the uh, New Testament Greek class. And then our convalescent ministry meets today. And then uh, finally, we have a, uh, a special message for Operation Christmas Child. So Mark, you want to come on up here? And, and Jody. Want to show the video first? Got to show a brief video first.
to say his word. I don't know what else to say after that. That was pretty much all of it. So for those of us who don't know, this is my wife, Jody. I'm Mark. We're Mark and Jody Hetherington. So we've been uh, coming to this church in Calvary Chapel since, I think, 2018. We've been uh, first service, kind of back row people for a while. But we were involved in Calvary Chapel at Lake of the Ozarks for a number of years as well before we moved on to this area. The Lord has laid on his heart over the last several years to be a part of Operation Christmas Child. And this year we wanted to uh, head up the Operation Christmas Child here for Calvary Chapel. <clears throat> so we're excited to be a part of this and uh, hoping that we uh, do well with this and respond to the Lord's call on this. Uh, just as he touched base in there first, why do we do this? In Matthew uh, 28, uh, 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Operation Christian Child, 30 years this year. How many boxes? Over 200 million. Over 200 million boxes, I guess, so far. And uh, uh, what we ask of you guys is obviously pick up a box, pack a box. Uh, we've got information at the, at the table at the back. We also ask. We hmm? will have more boxes. Uh, we have some ordered. They should come in this week. Yep. But you can also use a, just a traditional size, normal shoe box. They ask that you not use a, a boot size box because of packing and shipping and things like that. Um, and the new ones will be here, yes, this week. So we should have those out next Sunday. We set a goal on the web page for our church to do 300 boxes if we can. We can do 300 physical boxes. We also set a goal in there for, was it 50? 25 online boxes. 25 online boxes. The online boxes are designated for hard-to-reach areas. So if anybody's interested in just donating money to the online boxes, we have a goal there as well to reach. So... Uh, what we ask of you guys is one, to pack boxes. We also ask for uh, your prayer and support in this. And as you pack a box, just pray over the box. Think about where it might go. Um, pray for the children and the kids that are receiving it. Not just the kids that are receiving it. It's the parents that bring the kids to receive their boxes that are also hearing the gospel. So you're getting a two-for-one out of that as well. So that's fantastic. And a lot of churches have been born out of this, out of parents that have heard the gospel, and then they've started their own church in their own village and community. So... Uh, I'll leave you with uh, one verse that we asked as well. Where did it go here? <clears throat> no, it doesn't come up here. Sorry, I had it pulled up, but now it disappeared on me. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. So. Come talk to us after the service. If you have any questions, we'll be in the back. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Why don't, all stand, why don't we all stand and uh, turn around and say hello to someone, and then we'll get into the study this morning.
All right, church. We kind of want to cut short a little bit our fellowship time. There'll be plenty of time after service. Got a lot to look at this morning. I know, huh? I need a, a shofar. I need a trumpet. <laughs> That'll get people's attention, wouldn't it? <laughs> All right, church. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the Gospel of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 25. If anyone needs a Bible, just raise your hand. Right over here is a hand. Raise your hand so we can get one to your seat so you can follow along with us. Luke chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 25. Starting in verse 16, Jesus says, No one... When he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand, that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear, for whoever has, the more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. We'll stop there this morning, right now. Tom, my message this morning is, where is your faith? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we can gather together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the uh, transforming power of your word as we dig into it, Lord. It changes our lives. It draws us closer to you and our relationship with you, Lord God. And we are grateful for that. And we pray now your blessing upon our time together. Uh, give us a, a, just the attention to hear what you have to say to our hearts, Lord. We also pray if there's anyone here or anyone watching online that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you today, they're not born again this morning. Lord, would you especially touch their hearts, help them to see their need for you. So we thank you again for this time. We ask your blessing on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to begin by showing a, uh, an older video by uh, the late Pastor Ray Bentley. He's since gone home to be with the Lord. But in it, he explains the Feast of the Lord and how their church would celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. Let's take a look at that just for a moment. Since 2008, Maranatha has been celebrating the Feast of Trumpets as well as learning about the other biblical feasts from Leviticus chapter 23 that all point to the...
This year, 2023, the Feast of Trumpets, or Rosh Hashanah, began at sundown last Friday, September 15th, and it ends sundown this evening. Now, I'm not saying I know the day or the hour because Jesus said no one does. All I'm saying is it could be today, right? I mean, it could be any day. It could be right now. Right now. It could be right now. My point is, are you ready? Jesus is coming back. And it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. But it will be because God's word said so. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. It's been said, I'm no longer looking for signs of Jesus' return. I'm listening for that trumpet. Let me ask you, how many of you think that you're good listeners? I read a story about a doctor who went to a party, and while there, he saw one of his patients out on the dance floor with this beautiful woman. The doctor goes up to the patient and asks, what are you doing? The patient responded, I'm just following your advice. What advice? The doctor replied, you told me to find a hot mama and be cheerful. Well, the doctor responded in disbelief, that's not what I said. What I said was that you had a heart murmur and you need to be careful. How about the husband who was reading an article to his wife about how women use 30,000 words a day to a man's 15,000? The wife replied, that's because we have to repeat everything to men. (laughs) The husband turned to his wife and said, what? (laughs) Jesus here in verse 18 tells us to take heed how you hear. We looked last time in the first 15 verses, Jesus says, He who has an ears to hear, let him hear. That word hear is used some nine times in these verses. Jesus is saying it's by our hearing that we take in the word of God where it can recreate faith in us, a faith that will grow. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, with that said, we have three points this morning that we're going to look at. Number one, take heed how you hear. Number two, take heed that you hear. Number three, take heed why you hear. Number one, take heed how you hear. Look now, verse 16 through 18 again. No one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand. And those who enter may see the light, for nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Therefore, take heed how you hear. Listen, knowing that Jesus could return at any moment, let me ask you, do the people around you, the people you come in contact with, know that you are a Christian? Have you talked to them about your faith and the fact that Jesus could return at any moment? If not, why not? See, the lamp here that Jesus is describing of was a small clay oil lamp that was used to light up a whole room. Houses in that day had these little notches in the wall, and so the lamp could be placed in there. And when that lamp was lit, as Jesus says, it's not to be hidden under a basket or under a bed. Jesus says that lamp needs to be placed in a high location so that everyone in the house could see it. Now, while Jesus walked this earth, he said in John 9, 5, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. He also said in John 12, 46, I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. 
But now that Christ is risen, we're told in Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see, having a relationship with Jesus Christ means that the light that he was in now is now in us, and it should be shown brightly in our lives. But Jesus said that in Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's a responsibility that the Lord has given to us to point people to Jesus Christ, to shine the way to God's kingdom. I mean, think about what a tremendous gift light is to us. Maybe you remember as a child, a young child growing up, and it's bedtime in your bedroom and all the lights are off, and you start staring towards your closet. And there's something in that corner that looks like a wild animal. It's got to be a lion. I know it's going to kill me. I know it's going to jump out and get me. And you're freaking out a little bit till you finally muster up enough courage to go and turn on the light. And you see it's just your jacket on the, on the chair or on the closet there. And you kind of freaked out. Once that light was turned on, the darkness fled. In the same way, can you remember when the darkness of your sinful past fled by the light of the gospel? Can you remember when the Lord placed his light in his life within you? What a joy, what a day that was. You're no longer walking in darkness, trying to make your way through this world. Now you have the light of Jesus in your life. But sadly, there are many people today who are still walking around in darkness. And and, uh, they're walking around in this world blind. So the Lord here is encouraging us to be that light, but also to know that not everyone likes that light. Jesus put it this way in John three nineteen through 21, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. See, the gospel is a message of salvation, but it's also a message of confrontation. It's a message that reveals the darkness in the human heart. So that when the light of Jesus, the light of the gospel shines into a person's heart, it reveals that darkness that's contained in that heart. And that's a painful experience for a lost sinner. At that point, they have a choice to flee that light or to look at their sinful lives in in that light that's shining on them and see their need for a Savior. See, the first step in coming to Christ is to, to be saved is having your sin exposed to that light so that you know you are a sinner that you know you're in need of a savior in other words the bad news has to come before the good news comes and then that choice can be made to come to christ and allow him to remove the weight of sin off your shoulders and to give you new life life in the kingdom of god there's an illustration i found called the the heaviness of sin and it goes like this a rather flippant sort of scoffing young man asked a preacher in a mocking fashion You say that unsaved people carry a great weight of sin. Frankly, he said, I feel nothing. How heavy is sin? 10 pounds, 50 pounds, 80 pounds, 100 pounds? The preacher thought for a moment and gently replied, If you laid a 400-pound weight on a corpse, would it fill the load? The young man was quick to say, Of course not. It's dead. To which the preacher in driving home his point said, The spirit that knows not Christ is equally dead, and though the load is great, he feels none of it. But you see, that's why we need to share the bad news before we share the good news. The bad news, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The bad news, the wages of sin is death. The good news, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
The good news is that all that come to Christ, he will take that burden of sin and shame and guilt from us, remove it as far as the east is from the west. He'll put our sin from us. But in the same way, there will come a day when those that reject the light, that reject Jesus Christ, there will be no excuses. There will be, oh, I didn't know. No one said anything. In fact, Jesus says here in verse 17, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Listen, the truth will always come out because God sees the heart of man. And that's why Jesus says in verse 18, therefore, take heed how you hear. We are cautioned to listen to the right voices, to listen to the truth. Boy, in a day and age where there's so many voices telling us what is right and what is wrong, we need to cling to the word of God. Take heed. We're not to let the culture dictate to us what is truth. But there is a scale. There is a measurement. Jesus goes on in verse 18 to say, For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. In other words, truth expands. So the more you take in, the more you grow. And the more the person hears the truth of the word of God and gives it away, the Lord continually reveals more truth to your heart, to your soul. I remember when I was a young believer, maybe a month old in the Lord, if that, uh, probably a couple of weeks old, and a Jehovah Witness came to my door, and they were sharp, and, and uh, you know they had their New World Translation Bible, which isn't a translation at all, but an obliteration of the Word of God. But in any case, they knew it very well, and they would, you know, would question me, and all I could say was, well, yeah, well, well, I don't like you either. You know, I, I, I had nothing to say. But I wasn't going to let that happen again. So I started digging in and studying the Word of God and comparing it to what they believe, to what the Word of God says, what is truth. So that the next time they come around, I would be prepared. You know, when they do come around from now, they only come around one time. I don't know why they don't come back, but I try. In the same way, you may not have all the answers right now when you go to share your faith. You may only know what the blind man knew, and, and that was all I know is once I was blind, and now I see. And that's a great place to start in sharing your faith, just to invite people to the kingdom of God. But God desires to do so much more in our lives and equipping us for the work of the ministry. And let me tell you, that's the goal of every pastor here at this church, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So as we gather together on Sunday morning, as we gather together on Wednesday evening, as the ladies and the men gather together on Thursday evenings, it's to equip the saints. And so that the more you hear, the more you will be given, and the more empowered you will be than to share that truth, to give it out. See, Jesus says that whoever has, to him more will be given. It's It's a simple principle. The more you take in, the more you can give out, and the more you give out, the more you can take in. Yet Jesus gives us a warning in verse 18. He says, whoever does not have even what he seems to have will be taken from him. In other words, use it or lose it, right? I remember being in high school, and I took Algebra 1, Algebra 2. I took Spanish 1, Spanish 2. You can put an algebraic equation in front of me, and I wouldn't have a clue what it is. You can say something in Spanish, I might know one or two words, but I couldn't communicate. Why? Because I I didn't use it. You see, we need to to put into practice the things we've learned 
so that it becomes second nature to us, that the word of God just flows from our lips. But let me say this, when it comes to the kingdom of God, a person who continues to reject the truth, to reject the gospel, to reject the word of God, their hearts are going to grow harder and harder. Their ability to even hear the truth eventually is diminished. They become very, very hard of hearing. And is that not what we're seeing in our society today? The gospel has been rejected. The Bible has been taken out of our public schools. And no longer is there a hunger for the things of God. And instead of people thinking critically, they no longer look at the truth of God's word, but they say, well, whatever you think is true is true. Find your own truth. But the minute you tell them, well, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Oh, whoa, whoa, that's your truth. That's not my truth. Why? Because they don't want to hear it. Listen, rejecting God's truth will always result, result rather, develop in a tragedy in the life of every person. Because that heart is just going to go harder and harder. A survey was done by the International Bible Society indicated that 83% of all Christians make their commitment to Jesus between, between the ages of 4 and 14 years old. Uh, uh, that is when they're children or early youth. The Nabarna Research Group did a survey that said children ages 5 to 13 have a 32% probability of accepting Christ, but youth or teen ages 14 to 18 have only a 4% probability of doing so, and adults age 19 and over have just a 6% probability of becoming Christians. That's why we as believers need to take every opportunity to sow the seed of the gospel, especially into the lives of our young people, our young children before their hearts have had that, that opportunity to become hard. Yeah, God can break through a hard heart. It's a great miracle that's happened here at church when you see someone in their 70s or their 80s come to know Christ because their hearts have grown hard, but, but suddenly they're, they're giving their lives to the Lord. I, I baptize 70, 80, 80-year-old 80 folks, and it's a, it's a joy, it's a blessing to see that God reached them. But you just never know. So, so Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This brings us to point number two. Take heed, in verse 19, that you hear. Look at verse 19. Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Now understand, Jesus is not being disrespectful towards his mother or these half-brothers, and no doubt he did, did see them, and he probably talked to them afterwards. Now I might add to our Roman uh, Catholic friends, contrary to what the Roman church teaches, Mary had other children uh, other than Jesus through Joseph. But here we see, in taking heed that, that we hear, we need to hear what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, is, is, is anyone who hears the word of God and does it, your family. You're part of the family of God. And that reminds us that we have a family of faith that even is stronger than our earthly family. I mean, I found that, that ought to be true. I loved my, my blood family, my brothers and sisters growing up. But when I became a believer and they weren't suddenly... I had a family in the Lord. And there was a depth of that experience and, and the bond and the love that, that came, didn't even come close to what I had with my uh, you know, blood family. But the bottom line, Jesus says in verse 21, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. 
Now, does this mean that, that our Lord didn't care for his relatives? You know, that weird uncle at the barbecue or that cousin with the pink hair? Yeah, no. He cared for them deeply. In fact, you may recall there at the cross, uh, he, he looked to John and said, John, take care of, of his mother. See, Jesus' point is that everyone is welcome into this close relationship with him. Not just the person who happened to be his half-brother or half-sister, but any man or any woman, no matter where they live, what their race is, no matter what their social economic background is, no matter what level of intelligence they have, all can come to him and find rest for their soul and find that close relationship with Jesus Christ. John 1.12 tells us, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And let me say, if you don't know Christ this morning, or if you're watching online and you don't know Christ, uh, give heed to the word of God. Give your life to Christ today. Be a part of the family of God. This brings us to point number three. Take heed why you hear. Why should we listen to the Lord? Well, because there's going to be times in our lives when our faith is going to be tested. It's in those times especially that we need to remember what the Lord had said to us. Look now at verse 22 through 25. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water. And they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For, command, for he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. We're talking about listening to the Lord and doing what he tells us to do. Let me say that's why it's so important that we take the time every day to set apart a time without any distractions, to dig into God's Word and focus on what the Lord has to say to our hearts. To pray, Lord, show me what you have for me today that I can apply in my life today. And then take heed, as it says here, to do what He shows us. Because let me tell you, there will be, and there have been, I'm sure, in many of your lives when our faith is tested. Again, look at verse 22. It happened on a certain day that He got into a boat with His disciples and He said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And they launched out. Now, if they'd listened to what Jesus said, they would have realized that if Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side, that Jesus would get them to the other side. You see, the commands of God are the enabling of God. Jesus isn't going to tell you to do something unless he gives you the power to do it. He said, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. Now, this lake that he's referring to here is the Sea of Galilee. 628 feet below sea level, surrounded by mountains, deep gorges, and deep ravines. But we read now, in obedience to what he said, they launched out. And in verse 23, they sailed, uh, uh, as they sailed, he, Jesus, fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake. Now, the, the winds on the lake are known to kick up and produce waves up to 10 feet in size without any warning whatsoever. It's interesting to me that this word for windstorm is defined as a violent agitation and stream of air, a very strong, tempestuous wind. Years ago, we had those straight winds hit Branson, if you remember, and just wiped out all those boats and, and docks and everything. That's what we're talking about here. 
So picture this little boat with the disciples out there. They're rowing frantically. The waves are 10 feet high all around them. We read the boat filling with water. They were in jeopardy. Now here's the big question. Did Jesus know the storm would come? Simple answer is yes. Jesus knew the storm would come because Jesus knows all things. I don't think when they woke him up, he said, Whoa, this is crazy. Look at the waves here. Man, I never would have said, let's go to the other side if I knew that was going to happen. What a bummer. No, Jesus is never surprised. He certainly knew that this storm was coming, yet he was sound asleep in the back of the boat. I mean, that fact alone should have encouraged the disciples not to be afraid. What was their problem? Same problems we as God's people face today. We know the word of God, but we don't believe it when we're faced with those tests and those trials in our lives. We don't put into practice what we've learned, what we've heard from the Lord when we face those storms in our own lives. We need to realize that hearing the word or reading the word will not profit us in our lives unless we believe it wholeheartedly, unless we really put it into practice when we get into difficult situations. That is what will derive no advantage or blessing from the word unless we place our complete trust and confidence in it. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul writes, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. The word of God works in us to those that believe, works in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, as long as we believe what it says. See, it'll not bring any blessing into our lives unless it's received in faith. Faith says, I believe what I'm hearing is true, and because I believe it is true, I'm going to act upon it. So where is your faith? It's still the key question. Do we trust in God, or are we freaking out over our circumstances? See, I believe, as I said already, that this storm was allowed for Jesus to give his disciples the opportunity to grow in their faith. And let me say, you know, that that God allows storms in our lives because he wants us to grow in our faith. If we always ever had smooth sailing, never any trials, never any difficulties, uh, we would never really mature as believers in our faith. And, And also understand that they encountered the storm as a result of obeying the Lord. See, you can obey the Lord, you can be in the will of the Lord, and you can still be experiencing a storm in your life. Where did we ever get the idea that if I'm an obedient Christian, if I love the Lord, if I go to church and serve Him, then then there'll be no storms in my life, everything will be bright and sunny, no flat tires, I'll never run out of gas, I'll just, 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 just incredible smooth life. I mean... They were in this situation because Jesus had directed them to go to the other side of the lake, and and they obeyed him. You may be facing a storm right now. Perhaps it's a physical storm of the body. Maybe it's a stormy relationship, a financial storm, dangers, even the storm of losing someone close to you. Listen, there is nothing that happens in your life that's by chance. God is in control of everything that happens to his children, and he has a plan, and he has a purpose in them, as we sang this morning. Yeah, it can be difficult at times. And yes, oftentimes we don't understand why, and when we don't understand why, and we can't explain why, we just need to trust him and trust his word. I think in the book of Job, when Satan wanted to attack the man Job, and he was unable to because God had put this this hedge around him. 
And God was bragging to, to Satan about Job. You know, hey, you know, look at my, my servant Job. And Satan said, yeah, you put a hedge around him. Take that hedge and let me afflict him, and he'll curse you to your face. But Satan could only do to Job what God allowed him to do. And then and only then he was still serving the purposes of God. See, God has it all under his sovereign control. So for us, God allows these storms in our lives that we might grow in our faith. Think about this. Peter, who was in the boat at this time, wrote years later in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Isn't that the first thing that we say when we encounter a trial? Oh, this is so strange. Why is this happening to me? You know, this, this is weird. And we think it's weird that we suffer and go through adversity. But in reality, it's all a part of our Christian life, our Christian walk. It's a normal Christian experience. You know, the rain falls in the just and the unjust, the Bible says. So does trials and tribulations. They fall in the just and the unjust. Now, obviously, the disciples didn't respond in the, in the way that they should have. They didn't pass the test of faith that they were given because in the middle of the storm, they started to panic. Verse 24, we read, And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Now, obviously, we could hear from that that they were afraid, they were fearful. In fact, in Matthew's account of the same story, Matthew records asking the question, Why are you fearful? And I would say the same question to us this morning, Why are we afraid? So, well, I should be because, why, why shouldn't I? Because look what's going on in my life and my health-wise or financially in my marriage. I mean, why shouldn't I be afraid? Look at the world the way it is. Look at this constant threat of war, the constant threat that Biden might be reelected. I, I don't know. <laughs> that makes me fearful. Oh, no. Listen, God is either in control of our lives or he isn't. You know, there are all kinds of things that can cause us to be afraid. But Jesus, in a sense, is asking us this morning the same question. Why? Why are you fearful? The story about a young man that brought his wife to a small town doctor's office. There was an emergency. The nurses escorted the woman back to the examination room. The husband waited anxiously back in the, in the lobby, just sitting there. And for the next few minutes, he could hear the doctor, doctor barking out uh, orders, unsettling orders to the staff. First it was knife. Then it was screwdriver then pliers. Then when he heard sledgehammer, the young man could, couldn't bear it any longer. He comes charging in the door. Go, what's wrong with my wife? The doctor said, we have no idea. Right now we're still trying to open the medicine cabinet. <laughs> you know, a lot of times our fears and our concerns are for things that we either misunderstand with people or they're, they've never happened yet. And we just build it all up in our minds. So many of our fears never develop, and we worry about stuff that never happens. They dissolve. What brings you fear this morning? The disciples, they thought they had a legitimate cause for the fear. Let me give you three reasons why they were afraid, and perhaps you can relate to these three reasons. First and foremost, they were afraid, A, because they forgot to rest in the promise of his word. They forgot to rest in the promise of his word. Remember, Jesus said in verse 22, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. He didn't say, hey, guys, let's get in the boat. and We'll go about to the center of the lake, and then we're going to all sink and, and uh, follow me to the bottom of the sea. He didn't say that. Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. Do you know in his word he has promised in Philippians 1.6 that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ? 
God's promises are always sure. We have his word that can be trusted, that is filled with his promises to get us through the storms of life. So when they do hit, we hit the word of God. And if you're in a storm, turn to the word of God and hold onto the promises of God like an anchor. Jesus doesn't promise an easy road in this life, but he does promise a guaranteed arrival. So that when I'm facing a storm, or I'm in the midst of a storm, I have to remind myself, you know what, God saved me by his grace. God will keep me in his grace, and God will see me safely through through his grace. But they're freaking out because they forgot to rest in the word of God. So it's so simple, yet we do the same thing. A storm hits, and the first thing we do is uh, freak out. You know, but God has promised to see us safely through. Secondly, the disciples were afraid because they forgot his presence. B, they forgot his presence. See, we read, we read in verse 23 that as they sailed, he fell asleep. Jesus was out, out like a light. I mean, I mean, you know, this indicates to me that Jesus was human. But when he calms the storm, it indicates that he was divine. But we can see his humanity. He was tired. He was weary. He went to the back of the boat to lie down, and he falls asleep. But even still, understand Jesus was still with them in the boat. Someone put it this way, no storm can sink the ship where lies the master of earth and sea and skies. Now, if he's not in your boat, you have reason to be fearful because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, separation from God for all eternity. But if Jesus is in your boat, even if he's sleeping, you can't sink. See, the disciples saw his peace and should have used his example and should have rested as well. Psalm 139, 7, the psalmist says, Where can I flee from your presence? We can't. We're told in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Thirdly, they were freaking out and fearful because, see, they forgot his love and his care. They forgot simply that God loved them and that God cared about them. In verse 24, they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. If you compare Matthew's account and Mark's gospel account, you'll find out that they actually said, Don't you care that we, if we drown? Don't we say the same thing when a storm comes in our life? God, don't you care that I'm sick? Don't you care that my marriage is hurting? Don't you care that I can't pay the mortgage this month? Don't you care that this is happening to me? God, don't, don't you love me? so easy in times of difficulty to begin to question the love and the care of God and to feel as if God doesn't care. But again, Peter, who was in the boat, wrote, later on wrote, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. The God of all creation, the sovereign Lord ruler over an entire world, actually cares for you individually, me individually, no matter what we're going through. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that God doesn't love us and that's why we're suffering. Don't be so foolish as to, to, to look at your problems and think that they're because God is not happy with you. Look at Job again. Job was actually, God was actually bragging about Job. If anything, pray, God, please don't brag about me to the devil. <laughs> you may say, well, you know, Jesus was sleeping. What do you expect him to think? I mean, if you really, really cared, don't you think that he would have woken up and dealt with the problem after all the waves were smashing into the boat. I mean, could you imagine being so tired in, in a storm and water's hitting your face that you don't even wake up? And many times we do feel that God is not near. And we feel that he is unconcerned and far away. 
And we feel that God seems to be asleep when we need him the most. Listen, Jesus said in Matthew 28, I will be with you always. But he didn't say, you will feel like I am with you always. He didn't say that. There's a difference, feeling and knowing. It's believing regardless how or what we feel. It's putting our faith into action. The New Living Translation puts Peter's words in 1 Peter 5, 7 this way. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about what happens to you. He cares what's going on in your life. So how do you respond in adversity, in the storms of life? Do you get fearful and freak out and start to scream and yell? Well, we find that the disciples didn't respond like they should have. That's why Jesus said in verse 25, where's your faith? And, and again, the problem we have in the storms of life is we're not exercising our faith. We're, we lose our faith. They weren't trusting the Lord, and they needed to respond in faith. Let me tell you, it would not have been a lack of faith on their part, and there would have been nothing wrong with the disciples waking up Jesus and saying, Jesus, um, what would you like us to do now? <laughs> the waves are coming. They're 10 feet high, and, and I know you want us to go to the other side, and, and we trust you, so uh, what direction would you have us to go? What would you want us to do? Speak the word, and we'll do it. But that's not what they did. Instead, they accused him. Don't you care that we're perishing? You need to wake up, Jesus. Don't you understand we're all going to die? They were freaked out. And Jesus says, where's your faith? They didn't trust the Lord. And I believe the bottom line for you and I is the same thing. The reason we're so fearful is we're just not trusting. Faith and fear are mutually exclusive. If you're trusting in the Lord, then you're not afraid. If you're afraid, then you're not trusting in the Lord. Now understand, even though the storm or the waves could not wake Jesus, the cry of his disciples did. And when the cry, when the disciples did cry out to the Lord, they experienced three things, the same three things when we by faith cry out to the Lord. And we're going to close with this. First, when they cried out before the Lord, they experienced his power. Look at verse 24. He arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. In verse 25, they were amazed that even the winds and the water obey him. They experience his power like nothing they've ever seen. Secondly, they experience his peace. There was this, this sudden calmness. Listen, the storm raging around your life may not go away, but God will calm the storm raging within you. He will give you his peace. God has not promised to take away all of our troubles, but he has promised that you can experience his peace in the midst of trouble. Isaiah 26, verse 3, God will keep those in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because they trust in him. Finally, the third thing that they experienced when they cried out to the Lord, they came to understand his person. Again, verse 25, they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. He said, wow, who is this guy? They're just amazed. <laughs> but they ain't seen nothing yet, because <laughs> Jesus is going to die and rise from the dead and totally blow them away. But here's my point. When God comes to us in our storms, and we cry out to him, he brings his power, he brings his peace, and we come to know him uh, like never before, who he really is. He is the God-man. He is God manifested in the flesh. He's the one who came to save us, the one who came to deliver us, and the one who came to help us through the, our times of storms. 
And all we need to do is to take heed that you hear. Take heed how you hear. Take heed why you hear. Then believe his word by faith and put it in action. To us who Christ not going to work, the Lord lovingly says, where is your faith? I have promised you that everything is working together for good to those that love me, Romans 8, 28. Uh, haven't I promised you that I will bring you to a glorious end, Jeremiah 29, 11? Haven't I promised you that I will complete that which I have begun in you, Philippians 1, 6? Haven't I promised you that I will restore to you the years the locust has eaten, Joel 2, 25? Haven't I promised you that no weapon formed against you shall prosper, Isaiah 54, 17? And haven't I promised you to supply all your need, Philippians 4, 19? And if you seek me first, everything will be added unto you, Matthew 6, 33. Listen, faith and fear will both sell into the harbor of your heart. But let fear not anchor there. Feed your faith and your fear will starve. Stay in your word. Stay in the word. Give your heart to the word. Fill your mind with the word. And you will overcome the fears that, that attack us incessantly. God gives us everything we need to get through any storm that we come that comes our way. As we close, you may be here today and your life is one big, big storm. Understand, he's using it to get your attention for you to come to him and find salvation. He loves you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. So by you putting your faith and trust in him, the finish of the walk you will, of the cross, you will be saved. Saved from an eternity of emptiness and loneliness and suffering and brought into the kingdom of God, into the family of God for eternal life through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3.15 tells us today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion. So if you don't know the Lord this morning, I pray that you heard the Lord speak to your heart in a way that you're going to respond to. Turn from your sin and cry out to Christ. If that's your desire, as soon as service is over, we have a table in the back in the corner by the door. We have some materials for you. We'd love to pray with you, give you the materials and help you in your walk with the Lord. So that, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, help us to take heed how we hear, to apply your truths into our lives. Lord, help us to take heed that we hear, that, that we spend that time in your word. And Lord, help us to take heed why we hear, so that we can stand strong in those times when our faith is tested. Father, help us to feed our faith. Help us to starve our fears. Lord, help us to walk in your spirit, not fulfilling, not giving in to the desires of our flesh. And Lord, finally, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, Lord, that they would do so, that they would cry out to you, Lord, because they are perishing. Well, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through your Son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that's yet to surrender their heart and life to you, to cry out to you, to be saved, Lord, that they would come to know you this morning. Now bless our week, we pray, Lord, as we go our way. Help us to live for you, to shine the light of your love to all those around us, the hope of salvation that we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand and do one last song together.
just for a moment. And uh, today, uh, sad to announce, but today is uh, Sean and his family's last Sunday here at our church. And so if I have their family can come on up so we can pray for them and, and pray them out. Um, I, I know someone can go get them. I think I talked to Angela. They might be coming up. Come on up on the stage. Oh, there you guys are. Come on up, guys. You know, there's a lot of frustration today with modern worship because the church is uh, creating it aren't really walking in the truth. Most of the songs are they're great songs, but the churches are practicing things that are unscriptural. For that reason, Pastor Ed Teller of Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, has sought to change that, and he's reached out to Sean as a, 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 an opportunity for Sean for him to oversee a worship project at Calvary Chapel there in Colorado, one of which different uh, gifted worship leaders from all over the nation will come together to create a, a special worship collective. Now, I do believe this is a, a great thing, a great opportunity for Sean and his family and a real bummer for us. Um, and I have to say, and this is really hard for me, I'm, I'm praying I don't cry, but over the last year and a half, we've been so blessed to have Sean and, and his family, the whole family, to be a part of our fellowship. Uh, they will be greatly missed. For that reason, we're going to pray them out. Now, I think of in the book of Acts, chapter 20, there when Paul was saying goodbye to the elders there, and they wept. But they knew that God had a plan. And in the same way, in the book of Ephesians, Paul, at the end of that chapter 3, has a prayer for the church in Ephesus. And I decided I want to adapt that prayer for the Stone family as we pray for them. And so I'm just going to read it, but kind of put my twist on it. So let, let's pray together. Father, when we think of Sean, Angela, and their family, we lift up our hearts and pray to you, our Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. We pray that from your glorious unlimited resources, you will empower Sean and Angela with inner strength through your Holy Spirit, that you, Jesus, would be at home in their hearts as they trust in you, that their roots will go deep into your love and that you will keep them strong. And may they have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is. May they all experience the love of Christ, though it's not too great to understand fully, though it is too great to understand fully, so that they will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from you, Lord God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you so much. I sent Joey to Sam's Club yesterday, and there's cookies and cupcakes and kind of a little dessert thing in the kitchen there. I encourage you to pick some up and eat some and, and, and just maybe come up and say some warm wishes for Sean and their family. And, and again, what a blessing they've been to our fellowship. And I look forward to the time they can come back and, and at least visit. Angela's family's here. So, uh, you know, and we're family. Our family's here. So, uh, so God bless you guys. Love you so much. So. And God bless you guys. Have a great week. God bless.